The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. All right. The Lord of Heaven's armies says to the priest, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices at my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should we show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven's armies. Bam. So what happens here is we are in the book of Malachi and we're going to treat it like a podcast. It's God's last podcast. We're now on the air. Uh, For 400 years after Malachi speaks, we don't get any more prophets, any more leaders in the country. For 400 years, it's God's last call to them to say, hey, get going. Malachi was probably on the scene at the same time that Nehemiah was, long about the same time, a little before, a little after. They kind of confront and deal with some of the same issues and things like that that are going on. Uh, This is the last call for 400 years, but the last call, the first first posting that comes out on this last call, because this little book here, I want to encourage you in the next three or four weeks, read it a couple times a week. It takes you five minutes, maybe, 10 minutes if you went to public school, sorry. Um, (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be fun today. Uh, but what you do is it reads almost like you're re- reading a social media post, like on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok reels. It almost reads like, how many of you ever have been in those things where somebody starts texting and they start texting a bunch of people and then all those people start chiming in and texting in. Next thing you know, you've got 875 messages and you're a thing there because people keep going and going. It's what happens here. It's this, it's this thing where God posts something out and he goes, bam, send. And they can go, uh-uh, and they send it back. The tone of the interaction uh, between God and his people is that God's people are just frustrated. They're angry. They're a little miffed. and They're frustrated with God. They're kind of combative. If those of you that have children of any age, you ever said to your kids something like, hey, out there, you need to see the thing out there? That's what's going on over there. And they could say, go, uh-uh. You go back and go, no, really, it is that way. Nuh-uh. Afraid not. Afraid so. You had that back and forth kind of thing that will go on. It's a bit of what happens here. It's very combative. Goes back and forth. But God's first call to Israel, God's first call to his people there, uh, comes through Malachi. The only thing we know about Malachi is his name. We don't know why he got written it up in the Bible. He did some things, put this together. They said, print that. That's good stuff. We're going to keep that forever. Uh, But it says in verse 2, God's first message, I have always loved you, says the Lord. Not I will always love you or I will love you if you get your act together. He says, regardless, this is what the old school people would call unconditional love, unconditional choosing. God says, I didn't choose you because you're awesome. I chose you because I'm awesome. In fact, I said, he said, I went and found the most weird, bizarre, crazy dude, Abraham and Sarah, who could not have kids or past the age of childbearing, and we're going to make them have the kids that will become the founding of the Jewish nation. He says, I have always loved you. And our response, he hits, you know, send, 
And then the little bubbles come up because we're reading it and they're responding back, we respond back. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? They don't believe it. And the Lord replies and he says, look how I showed my love for you. Next few verses there is, I chose you. I chose you. I could have chosen other people. Jacob was the son of, Jacob was the, son, the twin son of Isaac and Rebekah. Well, it's somewhere in there. It's, and, and so Isaac and Jacob and Esau are born. Esau's the older. Jacob's the younger. In that culture, Esau would have been the prominent one to get the birthright and the blessing and then the family name. God says, I'm going to do this differently this time. Jacob is the one I'm going to choose. Makes Esau mad. Esau's frustrated about that. Esau uh, now hates his brother. And now for hundreds of years, even still up to today, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, are at odds with the people of Israel, with Jacob. Jacob's name becomes Israel, and he has the 12 sons, become the 12 tribes of Israel. And God goes on to say, look, I chose you to love you, to bless you, and then anybody who jacked around with you, I got them for you. He said, and when I got them, I got them so good, they'll never recover from that. Read the first few verses on your own this week. But he goes, and I've always loved you, sets that case up, because he says, before I deal with the issues that Nehemiah had been dealing with, which was leadership, marriage, and money, were three big issues Nehemiah dealt with, same three issues that are going on, Malachi is going to deal with, because we have to first get something straight here. I have always loved you, and I will always love you. And I have a sense today that there's probably a few of you in here that need to hear that because you look at your life and go, I am pretty unlovable right now. With what I've done, how I've acted, how I've behaved, God, if you knew the secret stuff that I, the shenanigans of my life, God goes, oh, I know it all. See, God doesn't love you. God doesn't pick winners for his team. If you're a Christian today, you can raise your hand and we're all losers. No, I'm telling you. When, when God goes out to pick the team, like, you know, remember back at the recess time, you choose up sides? Who got picked first? The best people, right? You know who got picked on his team? All the way over here. Guys at the end. He gets the, the jacked up, craziest, weirdest, jankiest team ever going. How in the world is that ever going to work? And God says, it's going to work because if I chose the best people, you guys think you're awesome and you would forget that it wasn't about you, it was about me. Um, but then this thread goes back and forth. Uh, we're going to get back in, in chapter, uh, two, uh, chapter one right here, uh, what Beth just read. Uh, verse six now says, the Lord of heaven's army says to the priest, a son honors his father, a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, Where's the love? Where's the honor and respect I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name. I'm the God who loves you, and you're disgusted with me. You've shown contempt for me. And their response is, uh-uh. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? Sin. And then Jesus, God goes back, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. How have we defiled the sacrifices? Sin. You can just hear this thing going back and forth like this, this thread. Um, you defile them. And now here's a little longer thing to explain it. You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor. The people you pay taxes to, the people you have to give stuff to and Try, try bringing that nonsense to him. And he's just the governor. I'm your God for crying out loud. Go ahead. This is Clint Eastwood. Go ahead. Make my day. Go ahead. All of you that are 20 years old and younger have no idea what I just said. There, but yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord 
of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great, not just in Israel. My name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You know what he just says here? God says, if you're going to bring your leftovers, if you're going to bring just the bare minimum and just begrudging like, oh, if I have to, here. He said, I'd rather we just shut the place down. I'd rather get nothing than scraps and leftovers. Because what we've done, it's a little title on top of your note sheet today. Oftentimes, uh, God gets twisted up and reversed. And G-O-D for us becomes how we treat him. Doesn't get treated like G-O-D. Again, you went to elementary public school, you can get it, right? G-O-D becomes D-O-G. Now, I know in our culture today, because we worship animals, and they're the shrine of our life, and we make custom food for them, they, uh, this different rant for a different way. My wife's not here, so I can't make fun of her. But um, with how we feed animals and treat animals. Back in that day, you know, when you fed a dog, when you fed a dog, you know what the dog would get? Well, after the the mom and dad and the kids all ate, then they would get the scraps. They would get the leftovers. And you could feed them with that and to be just fine. They'd be okay with it. Because what you're doing is you're consuming it all for yourself and you're treating me like your dog. I'm getting scraps and leftovers. I wish you would just shut this thing down. I'd rather get nothing, nothing on my plate than scraps and leftovers. But you dishonor, look at verse 12, my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you're saying, it's all right to defile the Lord's table. And now you get here this sense of their attitude. You say, it's too hard to be a Christian. It's too hard to serve the Lord. (laughs) And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Ask the Lord. And the answer to that question is not to go, hmm, should we? <laughs> the answer is obviously no. Cursed is the cheat. The, the word there is not just cursed. That's the Bible word for it. Damned is the cheat. He uses a, a bad word, a naughty word in the Bible. Is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. I get no respect at all. I wish you would just stop doing this thing at all. Give me a break. Even people who belong to different nations all over the world honor me. And not even my chosen people, Israel, they've begun to embrace the God of Israel as the one true God. They've They've repudiated the worship of all their false gods and their false deities, and they're embracing me, and they bring sweet incense and pure offerings in my name. Kind of goes on there. He has some stuff here in chapter 2 we're going to get to next week. I want you to see chapter 3 now. Again, this, this, again, picture it as texts or social media posts that go back and forth. Chapter 3, verse, verse 7. Here's God. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now, return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You can hear God going, you're frustrating me, but I love you. And I want, I don't want you just to bring me stuff and do the right things. I want to be in relationship with you. Return to me. It's this call to come back to me. Come back into being part of this great relationship again. And again, the combative response we have when we're confronted by God sometimes is, how can we return? We've never gone away. I mean, we're sitting here in church today, God. Why are we even hearing this message? We're we're fine. And then God goes, okay, exhibit one, and how you have shown contempt for my name, how you've defiled my sacrifices, and how you have left me. He says, you've left me. He says, should people cheat God? And the answer to that question would be, um, I don't think so. Probably not a good idea. He says, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? 
Everybody right now, look up at me for a second here. Free up your hands. Clench them together a little bit. Take a big, deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And now, gently out. I would have us do a hum. We're about to talk about money today at church. And some of you are going, thanks a lot, Steve. I finally got my friend to come. And we're doing money. It's just what's here, guys. Hopefully it's not. We don't want to be guilty and weird about it. But just know that's, that's kind of where we're at in this. Um, he says, you're under a curse. You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes. Some of you are, what's that tithe? I hear that thing all the time. All tithe means is one-tenth. Bring the tenth thing in, the tenth of your livestock, your produce, your money, into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you guys remember from the last couple weeks, they had gathered together to say, okay, God, the city's rebuilt, the temple's rebuilt, and we swear to you on everything we are, we will make sure we honor you with our money and we'll make sure this temple is well, well provisioned for. And they would bring money in, they'd bring livestock in, they'd bring grain in, they would have whole huge storehouses in there to take care of the whole Levite tribe and everything that went in to managing this whole big massive temple city that was there in the middle of uh, Jerusalem. Right now there's not enough food in there because people haven't been doing it or they've been bringing just the leftover stuff that just rots and goes away. So his, one of his concerns is there's not enough food in there where this thing's going to all dwindle and fall away. And the culture I'm trying to create here is centered around this one true God, worshiped in this place in the temple. But he says, if you do, if you bring the tithes, offerings into the storehouse, into God's church, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Anybody sign up for that? Like, so much money, so much good stuff in your 401k, the pay raises, the bonus, like, this is crazy. We have so much, we don't have to do with all this. I vote for that. And then he says this, try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. Your Bitcoin investment strategies will yield quadruple returns. Your Apple and Tesla stock will reap significant benefits. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight. He says, look, you haven't been tithing. You haven't been giving off the top. The idea of tithing here too is... is uh, some about 10%, but it's about giving your first and your best. Some people will oftentimes say this idea of tithing, that tithing's like an Old Testament thing, and now that we're in the New Testament, we don't tithe anymore. You know what? You're absolutely right. You shouldn't tithe anymore. Because every time Jesus comes along and sees the laws of the Old Testament, you know what he does with them? He doesn't go, okay, that murder thing... We're going to lower that standard now because you're the New Testament now. Grace. Adultery? Mm, whatever. Whatever. No. He says, and with giving, he goes over again. He says, all my money's, all your money ultimately was, comes from me. It's all in your hands. You're great stewards of it. So tithing is just like, it's a useful benchmark to start, but it goes way farther than just simply 10%. And the idea is give God first and best not what's left over. And he says, give God first and best, not even just the most. God's not asking for the biggest bite. He's just asking for the first one. In fact, there's a great little story in the book of Luke where people back then didn't have smartphones, checkbooks, credit cards. They couldn't scan it in and send it in like that. They brought in actual cash, money into the church, or they would bring in uh, massive crops and businesses. They would bring all those in. And they could bring them in and stand in line. People go, dang, that guy gave, look what he brought in. Man, 
brought a whole wagon full of stuff in here. That girl over there, look at, she brought, sold some stuff, has all this money, bags of money. They're seeing that going, dang, hundreds, thousands of dollars being given there. And Jesus is watching this happen. Meanwhile, right over there is some lady whose husband died 10 years ago. Single mom. Thirty-five cents. Puts it in the little bucket there. Nobody even pays attention to that. Jesus stops everything and says, you know what just happened here? You know who gave the most today? That lady right there. Because she gave, her, her offering was truly sacrificial. She pretty much gave everything she had to honor God. So we don't get all preoccupied. Now certainly, big giving helps churches, helps ministries get the work done. But Jesus goes, look, I'm more concerned about your heart in it than I am about what dollar amount that you give. If you eat the heart thing right, the dollars will flow. What God is asking us to do is carve off the first and best to him, not just the leftovers. We're going to do a little illustration with you today. Imagine, you need to talk back to me a little bit. You can, from the crowd here today, talk back to me today. Um, so, if this, is your finance, if this is your financial position, the money that you bring in every month, let's just let let's, this drumstick, this chicken wing stand for that. What, what are some of the things that take big bites out of this? Mortgage? M mortgage? Yeah. Right? California. No? California mortgage. Yeah, gas. And not just gasoline like gas in your car. You ever get your gas bill last month? My bill pay system wouldn't pay it because it was too high. And then I got the, month, the bill the next month. It was like, holy smokes, what happened? We got it all straightened out. So I'm going to need some water. What else? Taxes. Taxes. Car payments. I'm going to need a drumstick for kids. <laughs> what else? Somebody look at me some water, seriously. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how dry this drumstick was. This was kind of ridiculous. But I can't swallow. <laughs> Those of you that are visiting our church today, I'm only up here twice a month, so you can just <laughs> thank you. We came to we came to church to watch a guy eat. So you do all this. And you gun throw things and then like hobbies, right? TVs. Oh, I need a bigger TV. Travel. Disneyland. Shit, you need a whole. <laughs> and what happens here, we eat everything off of this. We go, you know what? We're Christians. We should probably give something to God. You know that little rubbery stuff that's at the bottom of the chicken thing right there? <laughs> the bucket comes by.
See, if we're not careful, guys, God is just saying, look, I, just, I don't want the biggest bite. Just the first one. Because if you don't give God the first bite, you never give him any. Um, we give, write this down today. We give our first and best to God because God gave his first and best to us. Certainly, church and money and finances, there is business stuff and transactional things that happen there. This is fundamentally, look right at me. Our church finances are in great shape right now. This is not like, oh, Steve, you better preach a message on money because mm, things are really tight and all is mm, pinching. Then we got to raise up some more. This is not a Jerry Maguire sermon. Some of you will get it in a second. <laughs> show me the money. Show me the Cuba Gooding. Anyway. Um, Jesus is going to tell us. I want you to see these verses. So you hear in Malachi, go about four or five pages that are right in your Bible. The book of Matthew, chapter 6. And some people go, well, you're talking about money here today. Why can't we talk about the stuff that Jesus talked about? You know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined? It must be pretty important at some level. While you're getting there, feel led to say it right now, that for a bunch of you today, you should just be encouraged. You should feel like, okay, we're honoring God. We're giving first and best. We, we got that set up. So you don't need to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I, it's because some people think that the sign of a great church is that you feel all afterwards. You all feel all kind of convicted and like wrestling and struggling. Sometimes you should hear some stuff and go, man, that just stoked me today. We're kind of doing okay on that. Jesus says this way, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is telling us the giving is an act of worship. It's like where your heart is. See, I can, I can look at your checkbook register, those, the four of you that still keep a checkbook register, or the online statement that you can go through. We can categorize all that now. They'll do all that for you. You can tell what's important to somebody, right, by what they spend money on. Anybody can say, well, this is important to me and that's important to me. It's how we do our money that tells us everything about what's important to us. Jesus says it reveals the desires of heart will also be here. That's where your money is. But it also doesn't, it doesn't just reveal where your heart is. This is a good little insight I got a, a while back here. Giving and being generous with your money will also guide your heart to a place of joyful generosity, whether you feel it or not. Some of you are going, I wish my relationship with God was more on fire. Whenever you know what I tell you, get your relationship with God with fire, give to him off the top. Make it your first decision and your best decision. And watch what happens there as you start, because the things you start to give money towards, like I remember back in the day, I moved to Temecula. And I started giving money towards this uh, crazy thing. It's got these metal sticks and little white uh, dimple little balls uh, that you hit around on green grass. They call it golf. I'm not sure I ever play it well. But you start giving money to stuff like that. All of a sudden, you start to love it. And it, it desires your heart go to where your money will go. And keep in mind again, too. God is not asking for the biggest bite. He's just saying the first one. He's just saying the first one. And then he, uh, in Malachi, I love this too. Back over here in Malachi chapter 3. In Deuteronomy 6.16, Jesus quotes this uh, in the New Testament as well. It's a famous verse. It says, Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not test him. Do not, do not say, God, you have to do this for me if you do this. And yet, look right here what happens in Malachi, right? In Malachi, in my Bible, he says, verse 11, or excuse me, verse 10, I'll pour out blessings so great, you don't have enough room to take it in. Try it. 
put me to the test. What he's saying here there is, I dare you to give and watch what I do. And to, and to quote the words of Schwartz from Christmas Story, remember the flagpole scene? Remember that? Let me go ahead and screen here a bit. Yeah. Remember that? The, I triple dog dare you. God is telling you today, I triple dog dare you with your giving to honor him with it. Make it be your first decision uh, to give first and best to God and watch what happens. And the place I think you should give to, to support what's going on in the world, I think primarily it ought to go into local churches. I believe local churches are the front lines of where God grows and expands his kingdom. But there's also places to give that, those kind of dollars. To, well, a lot of you sponsor Compassion Kids, uh, sponsor ministries here in town. Jesus said, well, you give it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've given it to me. So there's different ways to do that. Giving with uh, tithing, tithing and giving offerings. It's the way God grows and expands his kingdom. And so some of you are here today going, okay, Steve, I'm getting it. You've convinced me here. I'm going to honor God. I'm not going to play games with God. I want to give God my first and my best when I can afford it. Because right now, I mean, you know, like, right? Home prices, gasoline, utilities, everything. Shoot, I used to be able to go to fast food restaurants and get a meal for five to seven dollars, and now everything's 10 or 12. Everything. And I've been super deluxe, everything. So everything's gonna, I get, there's pressure all over the place here. And I would just kindly challenge you that if you can't figure out a way to give to God your first and best when you're making, somebody give me a number. 40,000. Some of you going, who makes 40,000 here? Somebody going, I can't believe you make so little. Some of you going, I don't believe I've ever got to 40,000 yet. But wherever you're at with that, 40, 000, if you can't give it 40,000, you won't give it 400,000. You know why? Because lifestyle chases income. And you'll think, okay, here's how I know this. They do studies on this all the time in the survey world of people that are way smarter at things, trying to figure out how to get you to feel more dissatisfied about your money. So that, so that you'll go spend money at their company on countertops or dishes or purses or whatever. They, they do regular polls across the board in this, all across the country. And they'll ask people, how much do you make? And then how much would you need to make to feel like, okay, now we're, we're finally at a place where things are stable for us. Now, I'm not talking about winning the lottery and making you know, $8 billion all at once. And you know what the answer is every time? Everybody, no matter what amount of money they make, always feels like if we just had 20% more, we'd be okay. Whether you're making 40K or 400K, everybody needs 20% more to feel like things are okay. And so if you don't make a decision to go off the top and say, God, you're going to go first here, you're never going to get there. You just won't. Because there will always be a reason why uh, that, that your life situation will change. It'll be something else clamoring for your money because every television commercial, every algorithm out there in social media world, the YouTube little ads that you see on your YouTube channel are different than the ones that I see on mine. You know why? Because they know what I'm thinking. They're following me. They're spying on you and you let them do that. Joseph Stalin would drool over what we as Americans just said, hey, just come and take it all. That's not a rant on social media. That's just the nature of where we're at right now, guys, with how life works in our world. And so they're, they're pushing things out. You say, you're going to never be satisfied until you get this. So you're going to keep chasing that and chasing that and chasing it. If we could just get here, if we could just get there, then, then we maybe could make, take a look at giving, and you never will. God says, I want you to go first, not because God's up there going, oh my gosh, I'm kind of getting low on stuff here. And this is what I've been saying to this to you as a church today. You guys need to, make, need to start making giving a priority because a lot of you already do this because our make got a priority because the temple, the, the church accounts are struggling and suffering right now. Not one bit of that. Right now, the church finances, we're not like rolling in money, but things are, are in a decent, healthy, good space right now. This is not about raising money for Cross Point Church to make our budget or make our ends meet. What God wants to do is this. He says, I want to pour blessings into your life, financial blessings and rewards. But if you're holding on to your money like this, 
All you're gonna do is gonna grab that, and what you're gonna do with it, you're just gonna hold on to it, and hold on to it, and hold on to it, and you will think I just need a little more, and a little more, it makes you more uptight, and more uptight, and the Bible calls this idolatry, and God will not fund your idolatry. He will not, he will not do it. So, when it comes to giving, to let's just talk real practically here for the last couple of minutes here. To get this thing started, you need to make a plan and get started. Some of you are already doing this, so this will be just good reminders for you. Maybe even some good things to talk to your kids about and other people in your small groups to make a plan. Because like, okay, you start giving now. Like, what do you do? Well, I would tell you, first of all, move. If you're not doing anything right now, move from nothing to something. Nothing to something. And something might be kind of sporadic and intermittent. It kind of might ebb and flow here and there depending on circumstances. But say, hey, God, I want to start doing something there. It might be not super consistent yet, but I want to move from nothing to something. And then you'll grow in that and move from giving something once in a while to do systematic kinds of giving. This is the idea of going, God, we're going to give you, I'm going to give you my first and my best off the top. It's the I'm going to let one of you play God and take a bite. No. But God, I'm going to give you the first bite. And God goes, Look, I can multiply all this too and bring this back to you. He says, I'll give you the first bite, God, before I take any of myself. I'm going to give it to you and trust you. And then uh, the, one of the best ways to make your giving systematic is to make it automatic. You guys all use bill pay systems. Just about everybody uses bill pay systems today. I love it because I don't write checks anymore at all for anything. In fact, most of my stuff just automatically just gets cranked out and we have parameters and stuff on there. You can set that up with your bank's bill pay system. You can set it up through our church online giving portal that's on our website that just takes your giving and says, okay, here's, what we're gonna, here's the amount we're going to do. And on the 15th and the 30th or on the 1st and the 18th or whatever it's going to be, we're just going to say we're going to set up to do this so, so that it stays first and best and doesn't just get to the end of the month and go dang dang we 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 really went want to we really meant to we make it automatic it becomes a pattern in our lives uh, a lady after church last night said it's just kind of weird that you do that then you just kind of lose track of it because it's just happening invisibly i said well what some people do here is those little offering on envelopes we have in your program just put down, hey, this month we gave online, or we're through the <clears throat> through your digital <clears throat> through your digital giving platform. Because for some people, they want to put something in there as like a time to go, here, God, I want to do that. So if you need that, just put put a note on there and drop that in there as well as it goes by. So nothing to something, something to systematic. And the systematic thing could be your first and best. And then I'm going to tell you, the Bible lays it out for us, that tithing, that 10%, that 10 thing thing, is, is sort of the, the baseline benchmark. The Bible looks at it as a starting point. It doesn't look at it as like the ultimate destination. But some of you might need to go, okay, we're going to start here and we're going to move from here. We're doing here and there. Get it to maybe 3 or 4 or 5% and then go, okay, let's see how it goes. And then gradually get to that 10% idea. Some of you should be giving beyond 10% because you make crazy money. You should be making what you're giving more than 10%. God's blessed you like crazy. You should be giving like crazy. And I dare you. God, triple dog, dares you today. He says, watch what I will do if you will just take the dare. And so you go, Steve, you don't understand because we haven't really been doing anything at all. So to go now go from kind of giving kind of really nothing over here, doing the math in your head right now, we make do divide it by 24 different pay periods in the year, that's going to be X number of dollars. How are we going to do that? And you might have to make some pay adjustments in terms of other things that you pay for. And I'm not going to suggest what those things might be. Sometimes giving at the beginning can be very, very sacrificial. And God goes, look, trust me, you make the sacrifice and you trust me with the first little piece for me and watch me blow the socks off your doors. 
Once upon a time, I know some stories here. I could bring, God, we could have a whole service here on testimonies today. See, the baby's all of it, too. <laughs> the, uh, I uh, have been a pastor now for about 31 years-ish. It's kind of weird. Nobody who ever decides to go be a pastor anywhere goes into it thinking, this is going to be amazing finances. Now, you get, I know there's the outliers out there of the crazy guys that make sneakers and speakers and all that crazy stuff where they make crazy money. And they probably have written books and stuff. What more power to them? I don't judge them at all. I just envy them. I wish I was one of those guys. <laughs> I want to buy $1,000 pairs of sneakers once in a while. No, I don't. Shut up. Um, and yet, guys... Uh, for me, it started back in the late 80s, early 90s. I was making, I know it's a long time ago, 80s and 90s. I was making $9,800 a year. Now, some of you go, yeah, but that was way back then, Steve, so money's changed. I go, yeah, but it was still nothing. And it was like, how can I afford to give? And I would talk to guys about it. He said, this, this older guy in my church back then just said, Steve, you ought to keep doing it. You ought to make it a pattern. He says, not because the church needs your money. Your little 40 bucks a month isn't going to matter one bit to making the bottom line, but he said, it'll make a difference for you because it'll keep God a priority for your life. It'll mean you can trust him. And then I watched what God did to open up doors for me, and I watched the things that have happened in my life and relationships and doors that opened out here, things that opened up here where people jumped on our team at the beginning and gave us thousands of dollars unsolicited, unasked for, to help get this started. Like, I've been to Europe, I think, six times in my life on fantastic vacations. That's ridiculous, being a pastor of a church and making all that work like that. I, it, it kind of blows my mind sometimes going, I don't even know how this happened. The math doesn't even compute or add up at times. Uh, I was talking to a lady about giving and stuff. She said back when she was a, a child, her parents practice this idea of, of giving to God off the top, this idea of tithing, and then dad lost his job. He got his final paycheck, and the, every, the mom thought, well, we're probably going to have to hold off on the giving and freeze everything right now because we have to, honey, we have to feed the children. And he said, yeah, well, we told God we were going to give off the top, so he still wrote that tithe check to the church. a challenging decision right there. We're going to feed God before we feed our kids. Ooh, it just feels like every, everything in you says, that doesn't make sense. Get through the crisis and do it. So it's crazy. Two days later, uh, when they thought, we're going to run out of grocery money to feed, feed our family, a family down the street had, was moving, and they had one of those freezers, not the little freezers like you have in your refrigerator freezer, you know, the box huge freezer with a month, month and a half worth of groceries. And it says, hey, we're moving and we can't take it with us. Can, can you guys use it? Had no idea they were going to need it. God just stepped in there and took care of them in simple ways like that. A buddy of mine who was in the grocery store industry, still is, talked about the idea that when he was, uh, in the early days of that, he was managing a store that was severely underperforming. He was in the bottom of his region. He became a Christian later in life because he wasn't really raised in the faith and came to terms with his faith in Jesus. And at one point thought, you know, Bible says to give off the top and tithe, so we're going to start doing that. And his family and wife went, what are you talking about here? Because they had never done that. To go all the way from there to there when money's really tight and got your job's on the line because you're in the bottom. He said, the crazy thing, Steve, is the next month we were in the top three stores in our region. He goes, you could, for no reason. There was no reason that should have happened. And then it was crazy. His career path just went like that and took off. I don't know how much money he makes right now. He makes more than probably 10 or 12 of you combined a year. He makes crazy money. I know where he lives. Fantastic stuff, how God has just blessed life. He says all the time, he says, people tell me all the time, he says, you know, that it's not voodoo, that it's not magic. He goes, it almost feels kind of crazy, karma, like weird, like how does this happen when you do this, and people say, well, I can't afford to give. His whole thing, you can't afford not to, pal. Look what God's going to do for you to bless your life. And then one more quick 
story here too. We had those we're in cards that we gave you guys the last month or so of, and about 80 of you families got back to us and we're going to continue giving it this amount, start giving it this amount or increase our giving to help us gauge out budget and that kind of stuff for the year. Appreciate getting all those back in. But one family looked at theirs and went, you know, as we looked at this now and looked and examined our giving, we thought we were doing that tithing thing, but we were under about 200, 300 bucks a month. And I think it's time for us to get caught back up on that. It was like, mm, money's tight in this family. Nobody's making crazy money here at all yet. So to do that, how are we going to do, make this work? And for this family, they have young children. And for several years now, they would uh, take out a second mortgage on their home in order to buy Disneyland passes. Not really. But because Disney will just finance them for you uh, now. But because the kids are young, they, they love going, and they just did it as part of their deal. And so they sat in together and said, well, for those of you that are Disneyland freaks, Disneyland feels like an essential thing. For them, they thought, I know it feels essential, but it's going to be a sacrifice. We're just not going to do it. I forget the time frame. It was within a few days after that. Unsolicited, unbeknownst to them, this person calls them and says, hey, you guys going to do Disneyland stuff this again this year? And go, oh, no, we're not going to do this year. She said, we're going to buy the Disneyland tickets for you, for your family. Out of nowhere. Boom, just bought the Disneyland tickets for them. And so that part's taken, taken care of. And then less than a week later, <laughs> you, you can't make this stuff up. Less than a week later, they had decided to upcrease, increase their giving 250-ish, around 250 a month which nets out to about $3,000 a year. Now, anybody go, in 3,000 bucks, if I had an extra 3,000 bucks at the end of the year, would you have some things to do with that, right? If we just saved that, I could, that you could do some things like that, right? No, we're going to give it, we're going to just do it, we're going to carve it off, and we're going to get that thing back to where it needs to be. Less than a week later, the company where she works gave her a bonus and a pay raise in the amount of $15,000. So for $3,000... Okay, God, here, this is going to be tough. We're going to do it. God goes, all right, watch what I do. You just go and bless your life like crazy. And guys, I could bring person after person after person who could tell you those stories. I also want to know you to know this too. God is not a slot machine. This is not like you've put enough money in, eventually you pull and he pays back. That's not how it works because Pastor Justin, who oversees our student ministry here, was talking about this. He said, Sometimes, too, the joy you get in giving, the reward there is that giving, because money is the kind of last thing you hold on to to really trust God with, right? I can trust God with a lot. To, okay, I'll come to church. Okay, I'll join a group. Okay, I'll, I'll join a team. Okay, I'll, I'll join. I'll, I'll be, be this. I'll deal with some of my own personal problems and get accountability groups and recovery stuff like this. I'll do this. But money is just, ugh, it's the last holdout. And when you start to go, God, all right, God, I'm going to trust you with this. You know what happens to money? Instead of it being your master, it becomes your servant. And you can release it like this. And you'll feel it collectively in your soul. You will feel what financial freedom feels like. Because I know all kinds of people who have multi-millions of dollars who are miserable. The idea that money's going to make you happy... Now, I want to, all things being equal, I vote for that. I, I'd like some more. But the idea it's going to make you happy, probably not. Probably not. Because God is going to pour his resources. And then it was cool. Um, I was talking about this probably a couple months ago. This illustration came up. And somebody at the end of the service came up and said, Yes, did you even think about this? So I forget who you are. So it's credit to one of you out here. When you're holding on to your money like this and God wants to pour blessings in there, how much room does he have to pour anything in? I mean, a little bit, right? Like there's a little crevice right in here. You could get a little bit in there. A little bit of blessing going there. You do this with your hands. You go, okay, God, it's all yours. Like this, guess what happens? Your ability to receive God's blessings grow exponentially. Amen. And God says to you and I today, I loved you. I've always loved you. Love me and I triple dog dare you. Trust me with your money, not just to outfit the temple. Trust me with your money so I can in turn bless you. 
in a way where money isn't idol, it doesn't become an idol for you. It just becomes a great blessing for you. The band's going to come up, and we're going to give you a chance to, to sing some great songs about the amazing, overwhelming, staggering love of God for us. That's the motivation. That's the motivation for all of our giving. Not duty or guilt or shame. Just because he loves us. We're going to invite you to tables of communion. It's in the four corners of the room. And in these four corners of the room, what's there is a piece of bread and juice representing the body and the blood of Jesus. And remember I told you at the very, one of the first things we said today is the reason we give to God and even give to God sacrificially and generously is because God gave his first and best to us in giving us his son. And because he gave us his first and best, we come with our first and best to honor him, to thank him as an act of gratitude. And so come to Tables of Communion today. Our prayer team's in the back of the house. You may have some things going on in your heart and soul and mind today. You just need prayer. Something physically, it might even be stuff that's financially going on right now, some stress with things with money or, or people or stuff like that. I encourage you to make your way back there and the lights will go down here in a second and you can just wander back there while people are wandering around receiving communion and receive prayer as well. God, today, we take our hands off of it. God, we ultimately yield every part of who we are. Not just the tithe, but every bit of it to you. Some of that goes directly to you and so much of you put back into our hands for our joy, for our blessing. God, so we're grateful today. We just love you and thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.